Welcome to the latest digital disability film podcast with Dr. Alison Wilde and Dr. Miro Griffiths and myself, Paul Dark. So, uh, pleasure to have you here again as always. Today we're going to review two films, one called Quad, which on IMDb is classified as 2020, although it was actually made in 2011, and Chronic 2015. Uh, so we'll start with Quad. Uh, I know you loved it, Miro. Let's have your initial initial. <laughs> uh, it's it's uh, well, two just two quick stories when I watched Quad. First time I I got it, I quickly flicked through to make sure it was working, and every scene I clicked on was either uh, the main character crying or the main character sitting next to water crying as well. So that didn't start off very well. And then it's the first film I've ever watched half and halfway through, I think. I really wish I could go back and do some marking in the middle of marking season because I thought it was dreadful. I thought it was, it was I don't know if it's the worst, one of the worst disability films I've seen, but it's, it's definitely up there uh, in terms of, you know, it's, uh, it, it almost feels, well, it, it just feels like an American attempt at trying to share that kind of triumph over adversity. Uh, you know, don't depend on welfare, don't depend on others, do things for yourself. Uh, and also that kind of fixation on trying to be self-sufficient and reject any sort of difference or, or variation in the way that our bodies function. Um, I, th I thought it was absolutely dreadful. Uh, we'll come back a bit to that more. Alison, what did you think? I, I think you're very kind saying it was an attempt, to be honest. <laughs> I think it probably is the worst disability film, for want of a better phrase. Uh, that I've ever seen. Uh, when I found myself comparing uh, um, uh, Inside I'm Dancing to it kindly, you realise you're in big trouble, I think. I hated Inside I'm Dancing, but it was the better film of the two, I, I, I believe. Uh, so there is a worse disability film and you believe it to be Inside I'm Dancing? Uh, I, I think, uh, definitely. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, apart from anything else, at least inside I'm Dancing had a story. It did have a story. And again, it was based on a real story, as was this. Uh, but it did have more of a story. It, 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 it did like this does, isn't it? it? It just rolled out same old tired tropes. Um, but yeah, uh, in some ways I thought I've got nothing to say about this one because I've already, I think the very first publication I ever had was about portrayals of disabled masculinity. And it, it just slotted into those so well. Uh, I, and I said to Steve after the first, my partners, after the first five minutes, I'll tell you what's going to happen in this film. And he goes, oh, I do hope you're wrong. And uh, um, I was slightly wrong, I have to say. I didn't expect the twist at the end. Um, what, that he's dead? Like, I, I'm being kind calling it a twist. Uh, yeah, it didn't quite pan out the way I thought it was going to do. So, so what, how did you think it was going to pan out and how would you say it did pan out? What, what? Oh, you know, the kind of bitter, nasty, obdurate type of uh, male uh, wheelchair user, uh, gradually reformed, uh, gets the love of his life back uh, and live happily ever after. Wasn't far off, but not quite. Well, as I said to my partner, I said I'm pretty confident that as the other two are going to think this is utter crap, I'm going to have to try and say something nice about it. <laughs> and I am going to say something nice about it. It was all of the things that you've said, and it was that bad. But if we take what Miro said, 
you know, it was about not being on welfare, you know, individualism and whatever. To some extent, that is a reality of America. And if you don't do that, you are fucked. And to some extent, it didn't pretend anything else. You know, it, it was all of the bad things that you've said, individualism, cliched, all of those kind of things. But actually, equally, not actually, that is America. If you, it's do or die. And he could have, dude, <laughs> duty, as we should call it, uh, or die. And, I, and, and so I think for an American audience, an American nature of uh, impairment, disability, within, a, within its welfare structures, within its insurance structures, it had, it was inspirational to that society and it will inspire people to some extent realise that it is up to them and only them, no one is going to help them, the state isn't, society isn't. I think it had other problems about class, there seemed to be infinite amounts of money whenever he wanted it, that he was actually the banking his brother, etc. But, I, but I, I, and again, I'm not disputing anything you two have said, but I think it's a difficult thing because often it's a kind of like, uh, often you say, oh, well, it's triumph over tragedy. My personal view is, is we've all triumphed over to the tragedy of what British society is and how it treats disabled people. So it, it, it's both of those things, but it is all of those things that you say as well. The, the class issue is quite interesting. Sorry, Alison. That's what I was going to say as well. I, I, don't, I don't think what you said about do or die is actually true in this case, just as it isn't true in things like... Um, uh, me before you and, and rear window where it's a middle class you know it's always a middle class man who you don't really have to think about those uh, absolutely those issues sorry Miroy, go ahead no i just yes, i think the issue of class is really interesting because you know you got you got a character again a, you know or you know it's, it's a real life example of an individual who's part of a banking system that is responsible for the onset of austerity measures yeah. across the entire globe but then acquires an impairment but also seems to navigate all those barriers uh, fairly easily. Although there yeah. is some kind of self-loathing within it. You know, the actual environmental bar barriers, policy, access to employment, and so on, are very easily brushed over because he has that kind of uh, influence of power over it and, and authority and, and influence within his social networks. And I thought it was quite interesting. And I also thought it was interesting in the, in the context of the carers and the staff working with them. Because actually what you had is you had uh, all, all the, from my knowledge and memory, all of the uh, characters who were there to support him were non-white. And, uh, and I think a lot of them were, well, well the, the main one was, was uh, Eastern European. Yeah. So again, I thought, that was, I, I, I thought that was quite interesting. And also the way in which the character, um, I think, is it Adam? Is it Adam? Yeah. Yeah, how Adam <laughs> uses derogatory comments towards these groups of people as a, as a form of, of of trying to suppress them and trying to marginalize them um in the you know in the way that he talks about uh the physicality of of the person who comes to help him when he's in the bath of the the uh of um the actress uh olin who's you know the russian uh, uh agency worker um so all you know all of that you can see how uh i you know i thought it showed a real disparity between He's trying to 
embrace that sense of normality. And he tries to do it by exerting his dominance and influence as a white, wealthy American. Um, and uses that as a way to push against those who are, who are trying to support him in varying degrees, uh, but who are doing it in a way where he, d he doesn't want to accept it, he doesn't want to tolerate it whatsoever. So the idea of class, I thought, was quite interesting. But, yeah. but, but I think, it, and again, I'm not disputing anything either of you say, and, and it is as bad as you say, but I think lots of people, uh, even the IMDB review, it's a transcendent, transforming work of art to, <laughs> to, to a certain kind of audience that gives them hope and an expectation that the American can dream can be there. It's all bullshit. It's all bullshit. Absolutely. Well, well, well that, that's ruling out the fact that it, there was almost no story. I mean, if, but you can, I think actually, you know, devil's advocate, you can tell that story well. Uh, you can tell it, 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 it in a way that uses those resources far better and makes it far more engaging. Did, I mean, I didn't like any of the characters at all. Mm. Uh, none of them. There, was, there were none that I was interested, really, what happened to them. And I think that's a massive problem. Um, the, um, the, the other thing I was going to say, there was actually one one or two lines that that piqued my interest towards the end of the film and that's when um he sleeps with his girlfriend again and she she says that um she, she says something about feeling better uh, because she's back with him and he says something about uh don't um think that uh you know that, that don't Sleeping with a quadriplegic doesn't make you a better person. Doesn't make you a better person. Uh, and uh, yeah, I, I couldn't help in my own cynical way thinking about how a lot of non-disabled people, in all sorts of ways, actually make <laughs> use use uh, not sleeping with us, perhaps, but uh, kind of relating to us in particular ways, uh, make them feel like a better person. So at that point, I thought, oh, there might something good might happen, but it, it kind of came and went. Nero. No, I agree. In fact, I wrote that line down as well when I was watching the film. And uh, it, may, it might be a line that I'll use in the future. <laughs> but I think, uh, no, yeah. And also, but even in that kind of, uh, you know, if you take the issue of sexuality and relationships, at the beginning of the film, you know, pre-accident, uh, you know, he's, he's, he typifies that kind of aggressive employ, employ, employment progression, hypersexuality, drinking, bullying people in his social networks you know even he, I, I couldn't i was astounded you know watching it you know the way in which uh, when he discovers his kind of affection towards uh, the woman who works in the bar you know the aggressive pursuit of that relationship oh, God, in, in terms of stalking her persistent request to company um, oh, oh, yeah, checking oh. to see you know all that kind of you know the, the you know, legitimate information is given, you know, questioning her when she gives a mobile number, even though she's been persistently, uh, you know, denied opportunities to get away from him. Uh, and all that scene is kind of playful and romantic. And I thought that was, it was just, it was so uncomfortable. And then of course, when you take it then to the end of the film, uh, when he's, when he, just before that line of sexual quadriplegic doesn't make you a better person, you've got this situation of, well, my interpretation was, you know, the attraction towards him, uh, was was based on on what Adam once was, so you know rather than focusing on the kind of 
the, you know, the lack of capabilities that he now is perceived to have, the, the, the route to a relationship and sexual activity is, is almost based on that kind of ignoring the contemporary and is wanting to return to the past in terms of you know, pre-impairment. So it, in a way, you know, it, it re, the sexual activity within the film, the way sexuality is portrayed, it's almost kind of wanting to emphasize uh, the significance or the importance of conventional ableist views of sexual intercourse. Yeah. And I think, sorry. Oh, sorry, yeah, go on. No, 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 I was going to stop there anyway. I, I, th I think, I mean, I, I can see why people get upset about about that kind of thing but again i think that what might be called i've gone who called it now uh, what might be called biographical disruption um is is can can be done well in a film or or any other story um i, I think you know I, I i have no problem myself as somebody with an acquired impairment of seeing stories that that focus on or, or have that as part of, of, of their of their storyline, but that one just took it to extreme levels. It's mm. like that was all it was about, and it was and it was dull at the same time. Uh, I, you know, and again, I'm not disputing anything you say, and I am desperately trying to find something nice to say about it because. Uh, but uh, it did show that uh, dogs don't like people in wheelchairs, which I always think is a good thing to see. Uh, <laughs> Because dogs don't like people in wheelchairs, and they didn't like uh -huh. him either. Uh, you could argue that perhaps it is the perfect film to use as a study tool of how badly cinema can be made in its depiction of uh, of, of disabled people. And because it, it it did have all of those cliches that you say, and it is as bad as you say that actually it was like an ABC of all of those things that actually made it almost a perfect example of, yeah, yeah. but to some extent it was, it was revelatory in the sense of showing how society is in that sense of, and I am scraping the barrel here in, in trying to show that it is, it is about, you know, in American society, which of course is, is fundamentally a third world country uh, by and large, except for some first world cities it, it is about that individualism and you will die if you don't uh, toe the line it is about normalization the use of sex sexuality sex in in i put work and sex completes the normalization process narrative for example and and equally even just the use of sight of kids playing disability films love the love the image of disabled people on their own sitting there watching kids playing uh and which i always think is just really really bizarre but uh, uh and equally because there's porn in it as well they do this thing about watching porn as if that's a route back into sexuality and normality as well which we'll come back to in in, in chronic as well okay it's irredeemably bad so uh, it's also called adam by the way it's the 2020 title is adam did you not think because uh, you've watched breaking bad haven't you miro yeah, uh, only only the first few. I haven't finished it uh, because he's. This was made at the height of his fame. Of yeah, he's, he's great in that. I love him in that. You do. I do. Yeah, I love Breaking Bad. And I've always been a big fan of Lena Rolin, actually, who plays the Russian carer, despite the fact that she is in fact Swedish, uh, and was in the unbearable likeness of being. Uh, you know, many many years ago. Uh, but uh, I think it's probably best that we put that one to bed don't you well, well can I say one thing actually oh, sorry yeah. Nero, Nero, go 
No, 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 go on. Sorry, go on. Um, no, the fact that it's an adaptation, well, it isn't an adaptation. I thought it might be, so I went looking and I couldn't find anything that the, the Adam it was based on had written. Uh, but I think sometimes that seems to give a film credibility that it's based on somebody's life story. Uh, and yeah, I, 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 unfortunately, we can't ask him if, if that resembled his life at all now because he, he died sadly a few years ago. But in terms of it being a very dull film, it's like, why, I wonder, did they focus on that part rather than the fact he went on to have a marriage and a child afterwards? So I, I just, I'm really fascinated about what kind of, why they chose to tell his story that way and focus on, you know, what you were talking about, that particular period in his life. I think the writer and director were friends with him. Uh, they knew him personally and they did it from that in their discussions with him. I, I, I think, you know, I, I think, you know, true tales are usually, are always problematic. And, and the, the thing is, is I think it was probably a, this sounds awful, but a fair representation of his life and he would have loved it because again, that is the American narrative that he rebuilt for himself within that narrative and probably in his own psyche. So I, I don't think he would have had a problem with it. Uh, you know, and I think you know, that, what were you going to say, Miro? Well, I was going to say one thing that really stands out for me, which almost typifies all the things that we've been talking about is when he's in the hospital waking up after, after the accident and you know, you've got the introduction to the, to how the body's going to function post accident. Uh, you've got this kind of awareness of paralysis and, and, the, and the consequence of, of, of an impairment. Uh, and, and you see his partner who comes, who's outside the glass room and you know, unable to reach him. I thought it almost was symbolic of that, of that normative thinking that you know, relationships, sexuality, happiness, hopefulness, opportunities remain outside of the reach of those who acquire impairments. And I thought, you know, I, I, I don't, I'm not saying it was done intelligently, but for me, it kind of really stood out as, as a representation of all the things that we got a problem with and, and it, in the way that it portrayed that scene. Um, because it wasn't doing those things, but it was reinforcing all the, all the critical points that we've made. And I, and I thought that was, that was quite interesting. The idea of everything is, be, is just out of reach. And of course, you know, all the way through that kind of uh, the, 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 remainder, the, the remaining of the hospital scenes, when the, immediately after that, you know, he's placed in a cumbersome, overly large wheelchair um, you know, it's all, uh, and then again, his rehabilitation is almost <laughs> almost seen as if he's in a prison. You know, you have a visitor now; you can go and see the visitor. Otherwise, you have to stay in the kind of recreational area and uh, and just trying to try to try to perform normative functioning. So, uh, so, so following on from that, how problematic is it then? If, for example, he was still alive, he saw that film and said it was absolutely like that. Every single scene happened in that order, and multiple people, including disabled people, will be inspired by seeing that. Well, again, I think that that's the, that's that shows the disparity between the importance of politicizing the experience of disability and the extensive conversations that disabled activists uh, and disability studies dis uh, highlights and en engages with, and the disparity between that and actually how the majority of the social world functions in that it looks for that and in that it believes and accepts those ideas of every, those kind of things being just out of reach and therefore you must spend the entirety of your life trying to pursue that as a way of you changing to fit into the way that 
society is organized. So it, it, all, it almost, I suppose the film for me, it, it gives me a sobering realization of just how far there is a disconnect between the kinds of things that we talk about in these podcasts and beyond in our kind of networks on, on the politicization of disability and representation of disability, disability historically and contemporary and what people want and what people experience either disabled people or non-disabled people viewing the issue of disability. It, there, is, there is such a disconnect between the two. I, I agree, I agree. Perfectly put. We're going to end that one there because I think we've done quite a long time on it. Probably far too good for our own sense of self. Uh, and we're going to move on to Chronic, which is a 2015 film uh, made by Mikel Franco, uh, a Mexican director, but it's a, it's a mainstream America film with Tim Roth. And it is almost entirely about Tim Roth. He, I think he's in every scene. Uh, so what did uh, this was your choice, Alison. So we're going to let you start. What did you think of it? Well, you know what I think of it. I, I absolutely love it. Uh, again, my partner's, I think my partner didn't expect to like it uh, and did, uh, but not so much the ending. I, I like the ending. I still am unsure as to uh, what it's supposed to mean. We'll come back to that later, I guess. Um, but what I liked about it was kind of the ambiguity about what was going on, the slowness of it. Uh, which uh, the, the slowness of, of the caring relationship uh, between him and the people uh, that he was with. And uh, yeah, I, I, I thought it was quite an extraordinary portrayal of um, care, not just of disabled people, but of, of course it's about people who are dying as well. Uh, and uh, I'd, I'd never seen anything quite like it in, in that it managed to treat both sides with dignity but not actually not actually tell you what to think so i'll leave it there until you choose so, so would you would you say because i want to question you a bit more about it because you you, you uh -huh. liked it so much is would you say that uh, I, I can imagine a lot of people won't like this not just for its stylistic I, thing i agree but because of that ambiguity so for example because there is a kind of like assisted suicide elements to it, but it's not necessarily for it or against it, that ambiguity. And there, there's a whole range of things about, you know, sexuality and all of those kind of things. And and so it would, I, I can imagine most people will not like this because it, I agree. it, I agree. Is, it is different. So what would you say in essence it was about? Me or me? Yes. Or... No, Alison. Um... I, I would I would say I would say in some ways I mean it'll sound awfully I don't know probably not very good but I'd say it's about life itself in a way uh, but I think it's also centrally about uh, about the ethics of care is it, you know about the ethics of caring for other people and how we do that without falling into those many contradictions of care like you said one of the, per the people he looks after uh, does want does want to be assisted with dying and he seems to almost shape himself uh, around what he perceives are the needs and to, know and to know those needs far better than anybody else, the stranger, knowing about those needs which of course upsets families who really want to care but 
somehow don't have the capacity. So it's like about all those contradictions of care. I mean, I'm I'm not so sure when when I think of that film, I'm not so sure if if, if my partner or my children were were in a position where they needed those levels of, levels of care that I could provide it that way. And yet here we have this this stranger who actually gets into trouble for caring too much. But is it caring too much or is it all about him? And and, and those questions never get resolved as in fact they don't in real life. So that's why I find it, it's a study of rather than a, 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 of the ethics of care. Sorry, that, well, that's why I like it. Miro, what did you think? No, I agree, I agree with Alison. I, I, I really love this film. Um, and it, I think it, it, do, it blurs that line between, well, let me, let me say again, it, it does engage with the ethics of care. But it's also, I think, goes a little bit further to question the the blurred line between caring and the nature of care and the role of support. And I think that was so that was quite interesting because obviously we use those terms very interchangeably. But within the within the disability activism, within disability studies as well, we have questioned the idea of care and the problems associated with imposing care and taking away control uh, of the individual. Uh, a choice to control the individual. And I think this film provides a really good observation of those issues. If you're able to have that existing knowledge and that existing insight into the, the complexity surrounding care and support. I also think it raises issues of the role of family and the role of, of, of support. And as a PA user, as a 24 hour PA user, um, you know, that, that issue of having somebody in your life who's not part of your family, who is yet involved in the dynamics of the family through their sheer presence and intimacy of the things that they do is I think is really fascinating. Um, but it also, I, I suppose the film engages with ideas of isolation and loneliness, not just for the people who he's supporting, uh, but also in terms of, uh, of himself as, well, as, as, a, as a care provider uh, who works for an agency going around. And also, you know, there's parts in the film where, uh, you know, which I'm sure we'll come on to in terms of when he's accused of, of sexual abuse and the kind of the, the dismissiveness of it in terms of just moving him on, he has to leave the area. Um, so it, in one sense, it kind of engages, I think, critically with the ethics of care, also looking at that kind of distinction between care and support. But also I thought was quite interesting in the way that he as a character almost assimilates and reappropriates the life of those people he's, he's, he's with. Absolutely. You know, when, when, he, when he meets the... Um, when, uh, when he's with the first character who's, who's dying, uh, and then after she dies, goes into a bar and says, oh, I'm mourning my wife, uh, Sarah. And of course, it's not his wife. It's somebody who's, who's been providing care support. Then you come to the next character, and he pretends to be him. He pretends to be an architect. Then he pretends to be the brother of the architect to visit the house. So all of that, I think, is really fascinating. And that kind of, the, it's the, you know, the role of the, of the, of the, of the support worker in the lives of the people that they are yeah. providing support for it's and the question yes yeah sorry Just sorry yeah and it's that it's that kind of image of is is the role of a support worker to be invisible or is it to assimilate within the dynamics of 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 the family and within the kind of networks of the family but also and i'll stop here but also i think um and i think this is something that paul you you may want to say a bit more on um based on our kind of previous observations of him but there's also that kind of there's a, there's an there's an additional layer of the issue of suicide and the issue of assisted suicide, which I think is quite interesting, 
and the idea of he is reluctant to engage in suicide and then assisting someone to die, then does it and then kills himself afterwards. And I thought that was, you know, that was, that was fascinating as well. Not straight afterwards, sir. Not no. the disabled person's told him in no uncertain terms how he feels about him. Yeah, sorry, yeah. But equally, yeah, yeah. That, I, you know, and I, I, I agree with both of you by and large. I, I think it was a bit more problematic on many levels in the sense that a, I think it can be interpreted as being pro-assisted suicide, uh, which obviously I'm not pro-assisted suicide, but I think one of the things that, that problematizes all of those issues is the fact he's a fucked up guy. Uh, so in that sense, nothing he does can be seen in any other light other than the fact that he's a deeply troubled individual from his own child dying at the breakup and you know it is about exploring how loss uh terminal illness destroys not just the person who dies but the family dynamic and oneself and and i and i did quite like that but i thought by having it baying about him then and I saw it as him being about uh, assuaging his own guilt, his failure to save his own child. Uh, and again, it doesn't, and, and often with many films and anything to do with art, it doesn't matter whether that, that's the intent. It, I think people can see it that way. I did. Uh, I think you can also see it other ways. But, but I think that problematizes all of those elements. Uh, I think what was really interesting was he, he only kills himself after he starts looking after a, a non-terminally ill person, uh, which, which I thought was quite interesting. Uh, but equally, and I think we'd probably all agree, he does commit suicide at the uh, end. Well, it is, it, 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 it's not certain, is it? Well, like, to me, he looks at the road and goes out and he's killed. I watched it a few times. I saw how he... I kept, re I kept rewinding that bit. Like I, you see him, you see him look to see the traffic first, and then go out. Yeah. So I, I assume that that was a case of, of. Um, and and I took that, and I quite liked that because I thought it was about the whole notion of professionalized care, as opposed to seeing individuals as having any communal worth cultural or social capital is dehumanizing for everybody involved the individual the family and the person who does it and that actually it's just uh, a soul-destroying process everything about it and again it is america he did only tend to work for fairly well-off people or his last one with a friend because he he he, he was he'd been dismissed before and that was his way of getting back into it so I, I think it was a lot more problematic. I, I enjoyed it and I thought it was very good and I think it does explore a lot of those issues. But I think there's way that people can interpret it in ways that I think are quite unproductive to anything that we tend to see as progressive in, in, in the sure. kind of politicisation of impairment and slash disability. And, and so I, I, I had great problems with it. It was quite nice to see... Uh, to see a film of that style, uh, I, I read that he's a big fan, the director of Bruno Dumont, and I would recommend that you look out, look up Bruno Dumont. He makes, he's made 
there's one of his which is particularly cool which is a, a kind of a six hour epic called petit quinin quinquin which is a french thing uh which made in 2014 2015 or even camille claudel with juliette binoche's camille claudel in an asylum uh and they are they are works of art particularly uh petit quinquin uh but and that whole style of the static camera uh, the lack of music. Uh, I thought it it was about, as a film, it allowed you to engage with it in a way that most films don't. I think I read that there were only 97 shots in it uh, that all last on average about one minute, uh, which again is a whole different style that I think is it worked really well, particularly for that kind of film. But uh, but I do I do think that think that it is it is problematic it had some good things in it but you know he's he's dismissed and uh, charged with sexual harassment because he lets one of his charges watch his porn but it's the guy who he, he chooses to watch porn and he lets him do it and, and there's no problem with that it was about choice and control and those things which i thought were really good but uh and there is a couple of lines about uh so for example i think the woman who he, he euthanizes at the end says something like Oh, my daughter had a child who uh, had an abortion because it was going to be disabled. Yeah, yeah. And, th and that was the right decision. So I think there's a whole range of things in there that allow people to read it in particular ways that I don't think are particularly constructive uh, or progressive in any way whatsoever. But it is worth seeing. It, you come back, Miro. No, I, I thought that, that, that I, was, I had that written in my notes as well, that scene with Martha. Um, and the chemotherapy, and also I thought even the scene after the uh, the scene after the when she discusses her niece um, niece's abortion, the you know you you, you have an an exploration of the the kind of loneliness and isolation of 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 impairment um, because you because again I think shortly after that Martha when she chooses not to have further chemotherapy. Uh, and she pretends to her family that 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 she no longer has a terminal illness. And it, it, again, it was a it was an ex, it was an indication of how the family interactions in her life were based around impairment. So you know they were going to come visit on the they were going to come visit at the end of the month, yeah. but they no longer have to because she's she's cured of of any terminal illness. And I thought that was that was particularly interesting as mm. well in in that. But I, I also I thought that. For me, I thought the, the the interaction with John, the the kind of the the the, the chapter in the film about uh, his exploration of of providing care, but also being a companion to John, was 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 particularly poignant for me. Um, you know, it blurred that line between companion, partner, and assistant. In fact, all the way through the films, but I think it was typified mainly in in in, in the scenes with John. You know, uh, you, you saw you, but if, in fact, if you look at all the characters he was working with. You know, with with Sarah at the beginning, you have those scenes when he helps her off the sofa, but it, it's almost like an embrace of affection and, and hugging when he's when he's lifting her out off the sofa, and then you you know you see with John when he's sitting with, watching films with him, and actually the holding hands in bed. You know, he's in bed and and um and David's next to him. He's and he's holding his hand. Um, so you know, and again other scenes when he's sitting and having lunch, and and I think Sarah is helping him to prepare his own lunch. I think that was, I just thought there was, there was really poignant scenes of yeah. blurring that line of how do you, how do you determine what is a companion and what is a partner and what is an assistant when somebody requires that 
uh, interchangeably throughout their life. And again, it's a question I think you know that, that, that is significant for the disabled people's community, particularly those who have personal okay. assistant needs. You know that that idea of well, how do I you know for me, how do I receive support of my partner who is primarily my partner, but also drifts into the category of a personal assistant as well when she's helping me do things, as well as a personal assistant who actually may see me more often than they see their family and see their partner. So, you know, it's, it's really, I think it's fascinating. I think it brings up those issues, but it does require you to have that pre-existing knowledge of it. And there's a danger, as you, know, as you said, Paul, in that if you don't see that, then you see it for a very different film. But I don't think we can do anything to try to address that. But I see the film as a piece of observation. You know, the way that, the, I mean, I love the, the camera style, um, you know, the kind of static camera. But also, if you notice, a lot of the scenes with the disabled characters in their home, it was the, the, the camera work was behind, it was outside the door. So it was almost that kind of gazing into the room, mm -hmm. into the life of the disabled person and mm -hmm. their impairment effects, which I thought was, was quite interesting. Yeah, I, th I thought those scenes were really beautiful. And I think, um, if nothing else, what, what this can be commended for above many other films is that it was unflinchingly looking at uh, bodies that were ill or, mm. or disabled. And there was a real beauty in it, which is very rarely shown. And uh, and uh, and that's what struck me right from the start when I, I first saw it in the cinema, and it, it was just like wow, it's a, a quality of, of bodies. Whereas you know the camera often lingers, as it did actually in the last film we talked about, quite irritatingly, uh, on, on that sex scene with him. Um, it, it, it very rarely does that on on bodies that are non-normal. So I found that quite. Oh. But wasn't it quite bleak in essence, though? Bleak is often beautiful. <laughs> no, no, I don't dispute the beauty, but I, I, I think there was one line in it, actually, that uh, uh, the the narrative undermined, but actually because he says it, that, that is the key. And it is John the architect who, when he's asked what he makes, he says, I make nothing special, only functional stuff. And then he goes and sees his house that he's designed. And it is a rather special house. It is absolutely a beautiful house. Uh, functional as well. And I thought that in a way summed up the entire film. But also saying functional has overrun the notion that we're all special. And I don't mean special in kind of like, you know, the special cliche, but as unique individual human beings of which suffering is a part of that. Uh, and so I really like that nine, nothing special, only functional stuff. And then the building undermines that. He then wants to be that. And that to me is then why he does commit suicide because he is nothing special because none of us are. We're just functional. So I might as well die. Mm. And, and I thought that, that that worked incredibly well. And that, that was a fantastic line, I think. Oh, well, just something to add to that as well. Like, uh, I mean, it might just be the way I interpret it. But I thought it was quite interesting. Well, when he does, when David does die and he's hit by the cars, it, this might be wrong. I don't know. But I saw how the cars, the immediate car that hits him, you, you know, is off camera. Um, but then all the other cars seem to go round as if they just carry on, and only, only after a while do they start to stop. And I thought, you know, what. For me, that was almost like a metaphor of how the social world continues, yeah. irrespective of our health, irrespective of 
the declining of a health or the or the functional needs that yep. we have as an individual. Yep. You know, you have this kind of moment of of death mm. uh, and destruction, and yet everybody else just carries on. Yeah. And, and I thought that that was that that was something that really stood out for me as well. No, I, I think but, it did. I think it did mean that, and that's how I saw that myself. Yeah, and, yeah. and I thought that was a nice touch because, in fact, they were tooting because they just wanted the cars to get out of the way because they just want to get on with the, the shitty, grubby little lives that we all lead. Well, I do anyway. Uh, uh, <laughs> uh, so, uh, anything else on that? Class. I, I, I think, again, it did suffer from a class thing where there didn't seem to be any problem with money for anybody particularly, uh, which I thought again in america particularly was a little bit disingenuous uh which i thought was a bit unfortunate even when they go to the working class thing you know she, the cost of chemo wasn't a problem and she chooses not to have it for her own reasons uh so i i think there was there was stuff that could have been done a little bit better there but you know that's not what it was about so i, I didn't mind plus it was also good to see becker out of the rockford files in it uh which i know you're all far too young to remember but he is, in fact, the old man who's Marta's father. Um, oh. And, of course, I grew up watching The Rockford Files, so uh, that was just a little bit bizarre. So, And he died soon after the film. Anyway, little side swipe there on to uh, nostalgia. Anything else? I'd, the only thing I would add to this is is that I thought there was an interesting point between him and Marta. When, when she asks him to facilitate her suicide or, or contribute to her suicide, um, you know, you, you, and then he's, he's reluctant to, and she throws questions of, well, you know, you would do it for your son. So why wouldn't you do it for a patient? Um, and again, you know, that kind of line always comes out, doesn't it? In terms of when we think about assisted suicide debate, and again, I, you know, as a, just disclaimer, I'm, I'm completely against the idea of assisted suicide, but you know, you had that idea of, well, you wouldn't want it to happen to you or your family. So why wouldn't you do it for me? And of course that then leads, I think, to his general reluctance but still he continues with the idea of, of going along with with facilitating martha's death and then afterwards when he's when he he kind of leaves obviously you got those issues but when he's reluctant to and he's and, and and he tells martha that he won't do it and she just dismisses him completely and it's almost like the role of support then is re is made redundant if it's not to facilitate the death of the individual mm -hmm. right and that that you know so it was kind of the it was also when the issue of suicide is brought in, does suicide supersede all the additional complexities and issues associated with health and, 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 and assistance in terms of you know, the, if the primary reason is, is to commit suicide with the support of, of, of somebody, then if that's not available, then everything else underneath it collapses. So the idea of, of accepting or working with the, the importance of personal assistance understanding impairment effects understanding rights and, and what you need in order to be part of of the social world all of that is forgotten about because the pursuit of suicide becomes a primary thing and if that can't be achieved then everything else is made redundant mm -hmm. no I, i'd agree i'd agree I, I i think and this sounds awful but i think i wouldn't i would have had a serious problem with the film if he hadn't have killed himself at the end because to me, the killing of himself at the end was a direct result of that notion of that he had become functional 
in delivering suicide and that actually that that was the end of humanity for him as a lived experience there are other bits in there as well but i think that that actually pulled it back from the brink and again because i might as well be clear i'm against suicide uh, uh, but i think those ambiguities were it was saved for the ambiguities because of that final moment which i think again i didn't i i thought him becoming the you know the pa for the disabled person was a little bit redundant as well i i, I just thought you could have done without that whole bit of him going to work for a disabled person as opposed to a terminally ill person so to speak and then because I think it opened it to an interpretation that I don't think the director wanted. I think the director wanted all that ambiguity, the ethics of care, the notion of love, I think, at the, at the heart of human relationships that he had lost hope in through seeing how families control, marginalised and don't care and don't love. Mm. Uh, and so uh, I think the, the disabled person bit was just, at the end was just pointless in my view. I would have liked more folk. I thought it was really interesting to focus on on David and John and the kind of pursuit of sexual um, exploration. And again, that kind of, and I thought, you know, it, it leads to him being accused of, of sexual abuse him then having to leave the area um, and and the kind of complexity and, and, the, and the, the, the kind of problems that emerge from that. But, you know, from a disabled person's point of view and somebody who's engaged in, in the development of, of self-directed support, the issue of receive, accessing support and personal assistance, but also trying to have a sexual identity is, is really complex and is, and is deprioritized within um, the key issues affecting disabled people and the kind of conversations that we have. But I thought, I, I just wish that would have been explored a little bit further in the film, I, I thought that was a really, really interesting aspect to try to uncover and unpack. Any more, Alison? Well, I, th I think um, some of the things that you've just said, you know, about the care, well, both of you just said about the care relationship, of course, the, there's, you know, the elephant in the room about uh, most people who are in those roles is, is that, uh, is that um, it's, apart from the love of doing it, it's quite a thankless task. So if, if you know, you are put in that position as he was putting in the, in, in the, in the film where his former life uh, was, and that intimacy that providing was no longer was there. And then your, your, the work that you enjoy or commit yourself to doing uh, is not working well. One can imagine uh, given having committed yourself to that role that it's uh it becomes very hard to sustain i would think mm. so i think i mean having kind of you know done research on the past on on, on kind of the experiences of uh of service users and carers you know there is quite a, um as we know quite a lot of prob there are quite a lot of problems associated with with sustaining caring roles so i think yeah, that's very rarely something that you get to see discussed in films. So. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Well, I think we'll end it there and uh, look forward to chatting about the next films on the next one. Thank you.